Good to have you in Bible study with us tonight. We are on lesson number 27 in the book of Revelation. And the good news is this is chapter 21 and there are 22 chapters. Uh, and we will, the good Lord willing, finish next week. Exciting. And what a time to be in the book of Revelation. Amen. Seems like we've had a lot of interesting current events to talk about uh, during this study of Revelation. So, uh, welcome to those who are live and in person here. And welcome to those who are joining now by Facebook Live and will also join us on uh, YouTube and podcasts later on. So, thank you for listening in. And I know that people are listening. I had uh, one lady tell me this week that she has a fairly flexible job and she's been listening to the book of Revelation and had caught up to lesson 24. So she's almost caught up with us. That's exciting to know that people use these as study tools, uh, even outside of the live Bible study. And so um, it's, that's excellent. And God seems to be opening up doors to spread the gospel through the ministries of his church in uh, multiple ways, exciting ways, uh, which I'll probably be able to tell you a little bit more about on Sunday. I kind of mentioned some things on, on uh, this past Sunday, but uh, we're working on making that a possibility to really minister to a huge population of up to 260,000 people is the potential. That number is astounding and amazing. And Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read the whole thing and then just kind of talk about a few verses at a time as we go down through there. And we are ready to start reading. Revelation 21. Now I saw a, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that exciting? Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire 
and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the angel, seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was as, wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So what we have here, uh, along with other things, is a description of New Jerusalem or heaven throughout this chapter and I don't know about you but I get excited when I talk about heaven amen uh, and it is a glorious beautiful city and so we're going to talk a little bit about that when we look at verse 1 it tells us that there is a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and then there's something really interesting uh, is that this new earth will not have a sea. So imagine our earth with no sea. Now that's quite a bit different because if you took geology, not geology, geography, uh, I guess you could take geology too. My son is a geologist. Uh, you'll find out that the earth, the globe, is about two-thirds water. 
that being most of that being the sea. Uh, so now you have an earth where all of the land is together and there is no sea. And uh, you kind of imagine what that does. What does that do? It puts the land all together, the people all together, uh, a possibility to have more people because there's more land is the way I'm reading that. Uh, and so uh, it's just a different earth. Why did they need a new earth and a new heaven? What have we been studying? The old one, the old one was pretty much desecrated, right? We see, you know, throughout the seven-year period that there are things like the sun and the moon that are, uh, and the stars, some of them that are affected by God's judgment. The sun uh, at one time is only burning, is burning a third less hours, and uh, the moon is not emitting light a third of the night like it used to, and some of the stars fell out of the sky. So all kinds of things, great destruction upon the earth. There are famines, earthquakes. There is a need for a new earth and a new heaven. Now when it talks about a new heaven, it's not talking about heaven as in God's home. It's talking about heaven as in where the sky is and the stars and the moon and all of that kind of thing. So heaven where God is has not been destroyed. Amen? Uh, for that's God's God's abode there. So when we see that, that's, that's what it's talking about. So it's been pretty much destroyed during the tribulation period. And uh, when God made earth, he intended it for it to be inhabited. So he creates a new heaven and a new earth with no sea there. When you look at the word sea, I believe this is talking about a physical sea, but it could be that there is also reference to people throughout the Bible. When we say the word sea, many times it's talking about a population of people. In particular, when the Bible talks about sea, it's talking about Gentile nations who were not a part of the covenant of God. Uh, for example, Isaiah 57, 20 tells us that the wicked are like the troubled sea. If you look at Daniel chapter uh, 7, you'll see the, uh, the mention of the sea there, and it's talking about people. The four beasts that are re referenced in the tribulation here come up out of the sea. So the sea seems to rep be representative of uh, the presence of evil in the world. Not always, but there's, there does seem to be a, that connotation throughout the scriptures that many times when you use the word sea, it's talking about something evil. A group of people that are evil or those beasts that come up out of the sea. Uh, they're just kind of interesting as we look at that. So the sea is, yeah, like you said, dangerous, uncha uh, unchangeable, and uh, violent. You know, you look at the sea, the waves, the roaring of the waves, all of that. So um, that was kind of, at least, at the very least, symbolic of evil. The sea can be sometimes in reference to the Bible. So verse 2 talks about New Jerusalem, which is heaven that God has prepared. And he has prepared her as a what? Bride. 
a bride that is adorned for her husband. So in the New Testament, the Lord said that he was going to go to prepare a place for us. Remember when he said that? That's John chapter 14. And so when he, when he talks about that, he said, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. So if you look at that as Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to go prepare heaven for you. And if God prepared all of creation in seven days, imagine the beauty that and the magnificence and the glory that heaven could be if God has, Jesus has spent this time preparing a place for us. As we, as we look at this, the Lord has created a new earth and a new heaven. So throughout this chapter, there's kind of the whole comparison contrast between the old and the new. If I could give you an old car or a new car, which one would you want? Some may say, I want an old car, a classic, right? Some may say, I want a new car. I'd be more like, I want a new car. Like, I, I like to look at the old classics, but, but I'd be more like a new car. Uh, so there's a lot of comparison and contrast here. There's an old Jerusalem and a new Jerusalem. A present Jerusalem and a future Jerusalem is what we see. We have a, there is an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. As we look at this, we kind of have to uh, do some deducting here. So would God prepare a city as his bride? No. We know that we are the bride of Christ. So therefore, the reference to the city as the bride is because of the people in it. So the bride, the people of Christ, the church, if you will, and the saints of old are the Lord's, I should say the Lord's uh, bride. And so the city is made reference to as the bride because of the people who live in it. It's kind of like, you know, when you were from Rome, you were called a Roman, right? Yeah. Uh, so here, the people in New Jerusalem are considered the bride of Christ by the virtue of inhabiting that city. And it's a beautiful city adorned for her husband, and Christ is coming back, the Bible tells us, for a church that is without spot or wrinkle, a glorious church. I believe God's church has some room to grow into being a glorious church as it is right now. But God uses and has always used a remnant of people, right? And so maybe it's not talking here specifically about just the church at large. In other words, is any church or anything that calls itself a church, but the true church. When we reference church, we have to understand that there is a universal church and then there are individual churches and sometimes the universal church or the ones that want to call themselves the church may not be the true church they might believe contrary to what the bible tells us and so there are some churches that definitely believe contrary uh, to the bible and i'm not going to name them so heaven's going to be a glorious place and it'll be our home someday. And I'm excited about that. 
Uh, I like this earth. God did a good job with it. It's beautiful, uh, but I can't wait to see heaven. And I'm excited about going there. But verse 3, what stands out to you in verse 3? What was God's plan from the beginning? To be with his people. God created man, and man sinned, we know that, and came short. But yet, even in that, God created a plan to restore that relationship. We know that God wanted to be and was with Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve hid, that God, it, it tells us there that God used to walk in the garden with them, that God fellowshiped with them. And so uh, they recognized God's footsteps and they, uh, God is coming and he's saying, where are you? How many things that God didn't know where they were? Right? He knew, right? Physically he knew, but what was he saying? He was saying, well, how, how did you get lost, spiritually lost, right? How did you stray from uh, my plan? And so God has always had a plan to habitate with his people. It's always been God's desire uh, to do that. And he loved to do that with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he desires to be with us today. That's why when we come together and we worship, I said this past Sunday that there's just something special about God's people coming together and worshiping together. We can experience God's presence at home, but there's just something really special about coming together and worshiping in God's house and in this place and feeling his manifest presence here in our midst. And God desires to be in our presence. Yes, he does. He tells us to not forsake assembling together uh, and even more so as we see the day approaching. So uh, I think that we can deduct that God likes to be with his people. Not only be, but he's inside of us, right? The Spirit of God lives in us. Verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now in this, there are about uh, four or five things, five things in particular, that will not be in heaven. Five things that will not be in heaven. What are they? No tears, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. No death, yes. All those things are passed away. Death will cease to be, won't it? Uh, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. What? Uh, that would truly be heaven, won't it? I mean, no, nothing, no darkness. It's true. That's one thing we could add in there. All those things that have tormented us throughout life, not that I'm not saying life's always bad. But there it has been. How many have experienced sorrow and pain and suffering and death of loved ones and all those kinds of things? And so we won't experience that anymore. Uh, and that is part of what will make it heaven. It gets rid of the bad, right? Yeah, I think this specifically is talking about tears of sorrow. Sometimes people cry with strange things, like when they're happy. 
If you get my wife really mad, uh, and she might smile at you. If she's got tears coming out, you better run. Because <laughs> uh, some people cry when they get really angry. Uh, so, you know, but no, no more tears, no more, no graveyards. Wow. That is, that's going to free up a lot of land, isn't it? So life would be pretty much at its best and at its fullest in heaven. No more naps. I don't know. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> we won't need it. That is true. What, what an amazing thing there. Verse 5 and 6 tells us that, Behold, I make all things new. And the Lord saying, It is done. It is done. Can I tell you, God is a master at finishing things. He really is. I think he's going to be burned up at the least. I think new is new. So I, I don't think he's going to restore. It's kind of like whenever God says, I'm going to make you a new creature. He's not, he's not revamping you. He's making you a brand new creature. That's what I believe. I don't think he's going to just take what was there and redo it. Not that it matters, because God can take ashes, and the Bible says, and restore and make beauty for ashes. And so, uh, but I think new means new there, in my opinion. I'm, I'm glad I'm not, some, some of those things, they, they call it, re, this has been reconstituted. I'm not sure I want Re, yeah, recycle, repurpose, reuse. Uh, uh, it's still old, right? <laughs> uh, so I think it's, we're going to be in the city, and the heaven, and the earth are going to be uh, new. So God knows how to finish things. Philippians one six tells us that that God who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. And so that's always good news. Uh, sometimes we feel like. Maybe we got forgotten, or we tried to start something that we believed that God called us to do and it didn't happen. But God is a finisher, uh, and He's the author. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, and then on the cross, what did He say? It is done, right? So God is a finisher. My papa was a finished carpenter, so He took the rough carpentry that people laid out and he finished it and he trimmed it and he made it look beautiful. That's what his job was. Uh, he uh, worked on some of those staircases at Shakertown. Uh, Finish is a, a key word here. God said it is, it is done. What also does it say here? He is the Alpha and the Omega. Do you remember where we first saw that word? The beginning. Revelation chapter 1, I believe verse 6. That uh, he's referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I know it's chapter 1. It might be verse 6. So as we look at this, the book of Revelation is winding down. The, we have seen a revelation of Jesus throughout it. And I believe 
greater and greater detail and revelation of who Jesus is and his character and what he is. Uh, he's a finisher. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the great and morning star. He's all these things that we have seen throughout the book of Revelation and we have grown to understand and to know him more throughout this study uh, of Revelation and of course the Bible, other parts of the Bible as well. And it says here that, that the Lord will give to him, uh, up to him who thirsts from the fountain of the water of life freely. For those who thirst. So it doesn't say you give it to everybody, but he says he's going to give to those who thirst. What is that? Is that a spiritual thirst? A, a desire to know the Lord in a greater way? That reminds me of the little woman at the well that I preached about a few, well, now a few months ago, who said, give me of this water that you talk about. When she understood what that meant, she threw down her earthly water pot and she went to tell people about Jesus because she had replaced the temporal for the eternal and the earthly for the spiritual or the heavenly by knowing Christ. And so I think there's something to this thirsting for the Lord. I think we should all have a thirst and a hunger to know God in a better way and to have a deeper and deeper relationship with him. So, and he gives us life. And you can't live without water very long. How many, how many of us you can fast for a long time but you don't live without water for, for a very long time? So, all things are new in this eternal order. The old things have been washed, wiped away and everything has been uh, replaced here as we look as we look at this new heaven and new earth. Verse 9 and 10. I like to watch weddings, even when I'm not officiating them. In a wedding, the pastor and the groomsmen and the groom are up here. And all the what are the bridesmaids? Uh, all of those are up here, right? And everybody's facing this direction. Everybody's watched all this, and it's beautiful. But then comes the time of the presentation of the bride. And what does the pastor say? Well, everyone rise for the bride. And instead of just standing there like this and we're waiting up, no, everybody turns to see the bride, right? And so there is this glorious presentation of the bride in heaven. God is presenting us to the groom. We are the bride. He is presenting us to the groom. And who's the groom? Jesus is, right? Uh, and it's, it's this glorious presentation of the bride. Everything stops uh, when the bride comes in. And I hear the whispers when the bride comes in. Isn't she beautiful? Look at that dress. Wow. Look at that jewelry she's got on. Look at that hairdo, right? I wonder what heaven will be like whenever the church is presented as the bride of Christ. The Bible tells us that the bride is glorious, spotless, without wrinkle. So no wrinkles 
no wrinkles. When I got this shirt, you know, I took this shirt and I washed it and I stuck it in the dryer and I didn't want to shrink it, so I took it out before it was totally dry. And it hardly had any wrinkles in it except for this little sleeve right there. And I had to get the iron out this morning. It's hard to iron that little bitty. <laughs> but the bride of Christ will have no spots, no wrinkles. God will present us to Christ. Now, that's not building up the bride because who made us that way? Right? It's all him. For he washed us in his blood, right? And he cleansed us and he made us into who we are. And so it's just a, a, an amazing here in the presentation. So this holy city, New Jerusalem, there's something else that it doesn't have in it that we haven't talked about. It has no temple in it. No regular earthen temple. Because what? Because the Lord God and the Lamb are the temple. That's what it tells us. So there's also no sun or moon because God is the light. And the city will radiate with the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God. That makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck right there. The same way when Jesus walked on the earth, he told yeah. his disciples didn't need to fast. Right. He was there. Right. Yeah. So here's here's this city of God, the new Jerusalem heaven, and no need of sun or moon or stars. No, no tears, no sorrow, no death, none of that. And the whole city is irradiated by the glory of God and the Lamb of God. I don't know if anyone ever experiences this or not. Sometimes when we're in church service, I can look around and almost see what I would call the Shekinah glory of God as the Spirit is moving. And it's almost like a light haze over the congregation. Nothing has changed in the natural, but I'm seeing it in the spiritual. You know, I, I just kind of imagine what, what's that light of God that is radiating throughout the city and the glory and the presence of God. And we, we you know, sometimes we walk away with chill bumps uh, from, a serve, from a great service, but we'll live eternally in that kind of presence of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, so what is this city like? Twelve gates. First of all, let me ask you a question that's not under questions. What city has twelve gates on the earth? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So here is the new Jerusalem. And I've seen the earthly Jer Jerusalem. Brenda has too. I don't know if anybody else has been to Jerusalem. It's pretty neat. It's an amazing place, but nothing like this, right? Three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the east, three gates on the west. That is how the city of Jerusalem is laid out, the city of David. But all of the gates in heaven are made of pearl. One pearl. I believe that's one pearl per gate, one huge. Uh, 
That's a ginormous, ginormous uh, pearl, right? Uh, so the gates are made of pearl, and they never have to be closed. How many of you lock your doors at night? Keep intruders from coming in, right? No need for that at heaven. The pearl isn't the strongest uh, of the, I don't know, the jewels mm -hmm. that, that a person could wear. It, it's actually, it could be kind of fragile. So True. They, it wasn't trying to keep out anything. No, no, it's not meant for uh, repelling people. It's meant uh, for the glory and the beauty of it. Uniqueness. Every pearl is different. I believe these 12 gates are somewhat different, you know, but beautiful. So nobody can, can come in and steal. Uh, there's not going to be any spiritual uncleanness or unrighteousness or unholiness in the city. In one of your questions, it tells you to name or to list or describe all the 12s in this chapter. And there are a bunch of 12s. Uh, there's 12 gates, 12 tribes, 12 angels, 12 apostles, 12 foundations, I know I'm going too fast for you to write these out, 12 pearls, and then when you get into chapter 22, there's even some more 12s. So what is so special about the number 12? What does it represent in God's kingdom? What does the number 12 represent in God's kingdom? Uh, it is. It's, it's their 12 tribes. There were 12 disciples. So I believe when we begin to look at what Jesus did with 12, is that we will see that there is, it's God's perfect number for uh, governmental rule or administrative rule. And so uh, we, we see that. There's a bunch of 12s throughout this chapter. Uh, and I believe we could easily say that the city of God will be governed by God and perfectly administrated. Uh, so we see all these 12s, 12 foundations. And those foundations are made of different precious stones, right? Jewels. So interesting as we, as we look at them. So how big will heaven be? Big enough. Oh, I forgot one more 12. 12,000 furlongs. <laughs> but there's another one in there too. Mm -hmm. 12,000 furlongs. It is a perfect cube. Its length, height, and width are the same. So how long is 12,000 furlongs? 1,500 miles according to my calculation. So this city is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles in whatever you call this. <laughs> width, width, depth, length. breadth, all of those yeah. things, 1,500 uh, miles. And the equivalent of 2,250,000 square miles. Heaven's not going to be a little place. It's going to be a big place. Now, I don't know the, the mathematics of this, and I'm not taking credit for this. Some math people, science people, calculated 
that it could hold 100 billion B billion people. Enough to hold every born again child of God from Adam and Eve on, is what one calculation said. Uh, so he has a plan. He has a plan, right? Uh, so heaven is uh, going to be a big place, an amazing place, and enough room for maybe some pretty good size. Uh, he said he's preparing a place. We like to say they're mansions, and maybe they are. Pretty good size room for lots of people there. Next week, we will wrap up the book of Revelation. But before we go there, I just want to get, I want to name about nine or ten things on the timeline of Revelation that we have seen up to this point. Not all of them. These are major things that have happened in the book of Revelation. Uh, number one, the rapture of the church. Number two, these are not a question that I ask, but so the rapture of the church comes prior to the tribulation, at least if you are a pre-trib <laughs> uh, believer. So the rapture of the church is one of the first things that we see in the book of Revelation. Then we see what's the seven-year time called? The tribulation. Uh-huh. Tribulation for seven years. Uh, we see towards the end of Revelation, the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, in the valley there of Megiddo, I believe that's the name of it. That's in chapter 19 and 20 that we just finished. Uh, we see near the end of time, the imprisonment of Satan. Yay! <laughs> the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. And then after that, Satan is released for a short time and for a short time leads a rebellion against God again. He didn't learn. White throne judgment, the new heaven, and new earth, and then finally, uh, here in verse in chapter 21, you see a new Jerusalem or heaven that is prepared for us. Do you think that, do you think that Pearl Gates has any Resemblance or, or the significance to maybe the, the stone that was rolled away. I mean, they're both round and. I mean, it's a possibility. Definitely could be somewhat symbolically. Yeah. Uh, and if they're left open, you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. They're left open like the tomb was left open. Right. And, you know, I believe the stone was rolled away not so Christ could leave, but so that we could see yeah. that he was gone, right? There's so much, as we talked about when we first started studying Revelation, that there's so much symbolism that you can almost take one thing and just run with it for a long time. A lot of symbolism within the book of Revelation. I hadn't thought about that, though. That's interesting. All right, so let's look at question number one. What happens to the first heaven and earth? According to verse 1. Pass away. Pass away. What is different about the new earth? No sea in it. That's correct. How is New Jerusalem prepared? 
as a bride adorned for her husband. So that, that was speaking of the church there. Question number four, describe what will not be in heaven. No tears, no death, no sorrow, no pain, no crying. There's some other things that we mentioned as well besides those that are in, uh, in that. Uh, you may have included those. What words in verse 6 are descriptive of Jesus? Alpha and Omega. Beginning and end. Verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. That's close. I said verse 6. Uh, yes, Alpha and Omega. That's one of the first revelations that we see of Jesus is that he is the Alpha and Omega. When you study the Bible, many times... God does something called book ending. It's as if God mentions something here and he finishes it with it here and a lot of information between. It's like a bookshelf where you have those book endings uh, and God does that and what it does is it solidifies everything that he's taught. It began with this and it ends with that this. And so it's interesting that we see the book of Revelation doing that sort of thing specifically starts off saying he's the Alpha and Omega, ends up saying he's the Alpha and Omega. According to verse 7, what does the overcomer inherit? All things. I love that answer. All, all things. And the unbeliever or the, all, all of the murderers and all that, they, they inherit what? The lake of fire and brimstone. When you study theology, I'm just going to bring this in. When you study theology, there is a thought called already and not yet. And it has to do with salvation. So we are already saved. But yet a part of that salvation is that we're in heaven in God's presence. And we're already, but not yet. Ultimately, we are saved. And God doesn't see things in time like we do. So there's this theological term called already, but not yet. And so we're saved, but we haven't seen the total fulfillment of that. So if you think about it as a house, you make your down payment, but you haven't moved in yet. Everything's been paid for, too, and we didn't have to pay for it. All we got to do is wait on the move-in day, and we're going to be moving in. That's exciting, isn't it? Question number seven. <laughs> Question number seven. List the twelves in chapter twenty-one. Twelve gates, twelve angels, twelve tribes, twelve foundations, twelve apostles, twelve thousand, if you write it the right way, furlongs. And here's one that you probably didn't see. 144 cubit height wall. For you guys who learned your times table in the third grade like I did, 12 times 12 is 144. Right? So there's lots of 12s. <laughs> 12 stones, 12 pearls, so lots and lots of 12s in this chapter. So what are the walls and the streets made of? 
The walls are made out of jasper, and the, the streets are made out of pure gold. So pure a gold that it is transparent. That's pure gold. We're getting some bids on re-asphalting the parking lot, but in heaven, gold will be such a just commodity that we're just going to put it on the street, make streets out of it. Yeah, some of the quotes were getting real like that too. Yeah, they put more than just the asphalt out there. But anyway, question number nine. Why doesn't the city have a sun or moon? Glory of God illuminated. Glory of God and the Lamb illuminated. All right. 